You guys ready for the word this morning? I believe that there are ministers that do themselves kind of a disservice at times because they put this pressure on themselves to always come up with a morsel of revelation that their congregation has never heard before. And as a minister, I can tell you, once you start down that slope, it's slippery. It really is. And I don't know as though that's daddy's heart. And we don't see that in any other area of our life. We eat the same food all over every single week. And so my heart has never been to impress people. My heart has always been to release people. I think that's a better word for it. Release them from captivity. My heart is to unveil the loveliness of Jesus Christ and his finished work. My love, if you will, is to unwrap and then unpack Papa's heart for all to see. And my passion, friends, is to remove the grave clothes of condemnation and to loose the shackles of prejudice. That is my heart. With those thoughts in mind, I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling the gospel that liberates. And what I want you to see through the message today are these truths. We have been liberated from sin once for all by Jesus's once for all sacrifice on the cross. We have been liberated by his precious blood. And here's the amazing thing. The Father is no longer counting our sins against us. Now, the truth of the matter is, I think we move in and out of that understanding. We toggle in and out of that belief system. And I think it hurts us to some degree. He's no longer counting our sins against us. And he has committed unto us the same message, the message of reconciliation. He's given us the message of reconciliation. In Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, we find this word liberate and we find its definition. The first thing I want you to make note of is the word liberate is a verb. That means there's a constant action with a verb. This is something that took place at the cross, but it still is in motion today. So yes, we were forgiven 2000 years ago, but we are continually forgiven because this word liberate is a verb. That means it's not passive. It has an assignment. It's always at work. Liberate comes from the Latin word libero. You hear the word liberate? Libero. And libero means free. So to say liberate, we are literally saying free. Liberate is defined by Noah Webster like this. To free, to release from restraint or bondage, to set at liberty, yeah, there you go, and to liberate one from duress or imprisonment, to liberate a slave, I like that one, but I love this last one, to liberate the mind from the shackles of prejudice. Now there's a word we don't hear too often. So if Noah defined liberate with such words and he ends his definition with to liberate the mind from the shackles of prejudice, 
then I want to know what that prejudice really means in his heart. Here's the way Noah Webster defined prejudice. He says, opinions formed without due knowledge of the facts and circumstances. We are accustomed to believe what we are taught and to receive opinions from others. Look at what he says, without examining the grounds by which they can be supported. A man has strong prejudices in favor of his country or his party or the church in which he has been educated. Look what he ends it with. He says, and often our prejudices are unreasonable. Powerful statement. Powerful statement that often the very prejudices that we carry are unreasonable. In other words, what he's saying is our belief system is not built upon a stable foundation. The Holy Spirit put me in remembrance of a story I heard more than 20 years ago, reminded me of this story. There was a city that wanted to build a subdivision, and they found a piece of land that wasn't taken because this was going to be a very large subdivision. The problem with it is it had been a landfill at one time. But it had been so many years. And to look at the ground and look at the grass, it looked just beautiful. And so they voted and they passed the ordinance to build that subdivision on top of what used to be a landfill. Well, they built the most opulent homes in that subdivision and everything was fine for about 10 to 12 years. And then all of a sudden there was a big sinkhole that developed in one backyard and took off part of the home. The sidewalks began to buckle. The streets began to crack. And so they called the aldermen of the city and the people, the officials of that city to a meeting, an emergency meeting. And they said, we don't know what's happened here. Everything is falling apart in this subdivision. And there was one alderman that was present and he wasn't saying a word. And they said, what are we going to do? And one guy spoke up and said, how could something like this happen? And finally, this man, he couldn't resist it. And he literally said, what did you expect? He said, that subdivision was built on garbage. It was built on garbage. What Mr. Webster is telling us is this. He says, a man will form his belief system based upon that which he has been taught quite often without examining the truth for himself. Friends, that's what's happening in the church. And for that reason alone, I'm telling you, man is held in captivity as he continues to build his life upon a retired landfill, or in this way, we'll say it this way, upon a retired covenant. And if you continue to build your life upon a retired covenant, you can expect those kind of chaotic things to take place. He searches desperately for the key that will unlock the prison doors of guilt and shame, fear and condemnation, but he can't find them. Oblivious to the fact that Jesus led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Friends, those gifts that he gave to men were himself and the gospel of grace, the gospel that liberates. So when you hear the words, the gospel that liberates, the word gospel, of course, means good news. The word liberate means free. So I'm essentially saying the good news that sets free. Only good news can set us free. So let me ask the question, 
What has the believer been liberated or set free from? Now, please pause for a moment and let that question tumble in your heart like bingo balls for a moment. Meditate. What have we been set free from? Well, the short answer is sin. We have been set free from sin. The believer has been liberated. He has been set free. It's not an issue with Papa. We have been set free from sin. The reason that fear and condemnation are present in a believer's life is because we're not fully convinced of that truth. Now think about it for a second. If you were fully convinced of that truth, that there's never a sin issue between you and the Father, there would be no fear whatsoever. There would be no condemnation whatsoever. So what happens is this gospel of grace, as it's beginning to proliferate, as it's beginning to grow in our hearts, what it does is it deals with that. It helps you to see through the scriptures and through the word and through Papa's heart that there's never a sin issue between you and the Father. So the reason the tug of war takes place in our hearts is believing that we have been set free from sin is a hard thing for us because why? Because we still sin. We still fall short at times. If we'll be honest, each of us still struggle. There are times that each of us will still give in to a temptation that we know we shouldn't give in to, but at times we will give in to those temptations. So for us to say that we have been liberated from sin, for us to say that we have been set free from sin, it almost seems dishonest, but absolutely it is the gospel, it is the truth. You see, throughout the centuries, a great percentage of ministers, what we've done is we've spoken words into people's hearts and they didn't take time to examine the grounds by which that man or that woman's belief system was supported. We just swallowed everything, hook, line, and sinker. After all, the pastor knows best. That is not true. That is not true. Pastors may know maybe a little bit more in certain areas, but I'm telling you, we get taught things all the time by our own people. Many ministers miscarried the gospel that liberates by not teaching their people, listen to me carefully, that there is a great distinction between their sinful actions and their sinless nature. There's a great distinction between our do and our who, our performance and our position. There's a great distinction between servanthood and sonship a great distinction between label and identity. You see, here's what will happen. Man will put a label on you. Any man can put a label on you, but only the Father can put identity in you. Only the Father can give you identity. Man puts labels on you, the Father gives identity. If I sell my car to my neighbor next door, and then I come out into my driveway and that car is sitting in my driveway, that doesn't make it my car again, friends. Sin may park itself in our driveway at times, but that doesn't make it our sin. Jesus took away our sins at the cross. That was John the Baptist's message when he saw Jesus walking toward the muddy Jordan. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes the sin of the world away from you. 
Jesus took away our sins at the cross. If I don't like what my neighbor's done, I can do several things. I can go knock on his door and say, your car's in my driveway. I can call a tow truck and they can come and get it. But I cannot take possession of that vehicle again. You know why? Because that vehicle belongs to another. It's been transferred into someone else's name. That title belongs to someone else. In the same manner, our sins were transferred to Jesus on the cross. We see that truth in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and verse 25. I love these scriptures. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Look at what it says. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Friends, I tell you what, there's two powerful truths all compacted in one verse right there. It says, so that we might die to sins and that we might live for righteousness. I don't know why we magnify the issues of life when we can magnify our Savior. As I was telling my friend the other day, I said, listen, if you magnify the issue, it will grow in size. But when you magnify Christ, Christ will be paramount in that situation. And so whatever the issue is we're facing, we are not to stare at our issue. We are to stare at our Christ. The Bible says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd oh, and overseer of your souls. I don't know what that does for you, but to know that I have a shepherd who watches over me. I have a shepherd who lives on the inside of me. I have an overseer for my soul. It just makes my heart warm to know that. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So when a man becomes a believer in Christ, would you agree with me that his name is written in the Lamb's book of life? That's what the word says. When he sins, it doesn't make him a sinner again, and neither is his name blotted out. Our sinful actions do not alter our sinless nature. Very important to understand that. Sinful actions do not alter sinless nature. Sinner is the nature of a man that has not been regenerated. I never ever once walk around and say, well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm daddy's boy. I'm daddy's child. I'm daddy's son. I don't put that label on me. Now the world will put that label on you. The bumper sticker will put that label on you. But I am not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner at one time. I have been saved by his amazing grace, but now I'm his son. I never see myself as a sinner, even if I blow it in word, thought, or deed. I never let my mind go down there. In fact, it doesn't want to go down there. It's just been, when I got the revelation, I'm his son. I mean, Valerie, we've been married almost 19 years. She doesn't ever slip up and call herself by her maiden name. And why? Because her identity got changed. Now, I can see that happening at first because you're in the habit. No, she's Valerie Testerman. I've never heard her once say, I'm Valerie Biggerstaff. Don't see yourself that way. Don't ever see yourself as a sinner because then what you're doing is you're putting a label on you. You're putting an identity in you that is simply not true, okay? We're a new creation in Christ and we see that word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, but let's add verse 18 and 19 for some context here. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, 18, and 19. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, as I've said before, I'll say it again, that little word in, in Christ, is a primary preposition, and it denotes a fixed position. That means we don't move in and out of Christ. We are fixed in Christ. And the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, if you are in that fixed position, the new creation has come. In other words, he has recreated you. He has found you in the state of sinner and he has made you a son. He has made you a saint. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God. Now that's important, those few words. All this is from God. In other words, we didn't have anything to do with this. All this is from God. All this new creation that you see here, I'm telling you, everything you see in me is from God. He did this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now look at these next words. Not counting people's sins against them. One of the things I love to do is just meditate. Sometimes I won't look beyond one scripture for several hours or several days because I'm essentially wrestling with that scripture extracting from that scripture. I want that scripture to come alive and that's okay. You can say, Daddy, I'm not seeing it. Just keep wrestling with that scripture and I'm telling you, you're going to see it come alive. My son Tanner, youngest son, was a wrestler in high school and I went to some of his matches. Let me tell you something that happens at those matches and I saw it time and time again. I don't care if you're a little guy or a big guy. If you get defeated on that mat, those kids, every single one of them, will walk back to their bench weeping. I began to see that early on. I thought, what is going on here? Is it just that they feel so humiliated in front of all their class, but yet we don't weep when we lose a basketball game? We don't weep when we lose a football game, per se? When it comes to wrestling, when they walk back to their teammates, they're all crying. I saw some of the largest 250-pound, 300-pound guys crying and sobbing. You know why they're doing that? Because they left everything on the mat. They went out there and they just spent everything on the mat wrestling with that opponent. And that's what I love to do with Scripture. I like to take it and get into a match with it and wrestle with it, leave it all on the mat. And so it is with the revelation of the Father. If you'll take that Scripture and wrestle with it for a while and come to the revelation that Papa is not counting your sins against you, it will leave you on the mat in tears of absolute thankfulness and indebtedness. That's what it does to you that my father is not counting anything against me. What is your response? I'm thankful. I cry when I'm thankful when I see the magnitude of this gift that he's given me. Wrestle with him. Our message as ministers of the word is to teach people that the father is not counting their sins against them. He has liberated his children from the duress and imprisonment of the law. This is grace. And this is the gospel that liberates. You can never be free from the fear of death 
and the fear of punishment until you embrace the amazing truth, the heart-stimulating truth that Papa God is not counting your sins against you. You say, Pastor Mark, I'm not thoroughly convinced of that, I, I, <laughs> that I'm liberated or set free from my sin. You say, can you prove that to me through the scriptures? Well, I certainly can. But my question to you is, what would you accept as proof? I mean, the scriptures are plain. They really are. The scriptures speak for themselves. The problem that we're experiencing is really all too common. We are wrestling against the strong man of the old covenant indoctrination and ideology, unsupported and unreasonable prejudices that have been sown into our hearts that paint the shepherd and the overseer of our souls as a neighbor that just occasionally wants to park in our driveway. <laughs> we reduce him sometimes down to, he's just a neighbor that comes to visit once in a while. No, friends, he's not. Jesus said, I came to stay. I came to reveal the heart of my father. I came to live inside of you and live life more abundantly. God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ. The Bible says, not counting our sins against us. And he has committed to us the same message of reconciliation. Jesus came to give us the gospel that liberates. How many of you know that before you buy a home, it's best if the former tenants move out. How many agree with that? It really is. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're cohabitating with strangers. And there would be a mixture in the home. And mixture, when we think about law and grace, this is not the heart of the Father. I mean, mixing law with grace is like mowing the grass in a thunderstorm. It just doesn't make sense. You know what Mr. Grace does? Mr. Grace packs the boxes for Mr. Law, and then he calls two men in a truck, come and get them. That's what he does, so that we can be at total liberty. We can be at total rest in Papa's finished work. How many people believe, do you think, that their righteousness is like a credit score? You see, when you've done good, the credit score goes up. And when you perform poorly, your credit score goes down. Friends, it's not called FICO-ness. It's called righteousness. <laughs> it doesn't go up just because we perform well. And here's the liberating news. It doesn't go down when we've performed poorly. Now, listen, if we want to experience the joy of being with the Lord and the freedom of being with him, we've got to understand, first of all, what are we building this relationship upon? And we're building it upon the fact that the father has dealt a death blow to every single one of our sins, and he is not counting our sins against us. What does that do? It gives us boldness. It gives Gives us confidence so that we can fulfill Hebrews 4.16, where the Bible says that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness, not creeping and crawling and begging and pleading. No, we can come to the throne of grace with boldness, the Bible says, where we find mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. We are some needy people for sure. In Romans 6, verse 18, we find these words. It says, being then made free from sin, Oh, man. You know, the religious crowd will fight you on this one here. I don't know if they've ever seen this scripture. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Now, that word free comes from the Greek word, eleutherao. 
Eleutherao, it means to liberate, look at what it says, that is figuratively to exempt from moral, ceremonial, and mortal liability to deliver and make free. Isn't that beautiful? Look how free you really are, that you have been liberated from moral, ceremonial, and mortal liability. That's what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he wrote, being then made free from sin, we became servants of righteousness. The liberty that uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking of is the perfect and complete freedom that Jesus attained for us on the cross through his perfect obedience, through his perfect blood, through his perfect death, burial, and resurrection. Now I'm going to say something here that may have some shock value to it, but I got to tell you, this is the way Papa said it to me. The man that has objects which he is still afraid to handle, taste, and touch, or places where that man feels he is restricted to go, is never completely free. You're never free. So when that Romans 6.18 verse speaks of being made free from sin, it literally translates like this. All the fences have been removed. There are no border walls. You are free to choose. And although we may not make the best choices at time, we may not make the right choice. It may not be a good choice. It may not be the Father's heart. We are still exempt from moral, ceremonial, and mortal liability through the new covenant of grace. I'm talking about the gospel that liberates. Eternal life has no fence around it. I want you to pause and think about what I just said. Eternal life has no fence around it. In other words, a believer cannot walk far enough to get to the edge of eternal life. He cannot fall far enough to get to the bottom of eternal life and then somehow step outside of eternity. No, we are not in the same position that Adam was in when he was in the garden. He had two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And what did he do? He was at a fence, essentially. He was there and he made the wrong decision. I get it. It affected every single one of us throughout the eons. I understand that. But when Christ died on the cross, he put us inside of himself. He put us inside the tree of life. He did away with the fences. There are no more fences in eternity. We have complete freedom. Why? Because the tree of life, namely Jesus Christ, lives on the inside of us. You see, an animal that's kept in a zoo is not free. Now, take that animal out of his pen at the zoo and put him in a national park. He's got a much larger space to roam around. He's got a lot larger space to live in. But if that national park still has fences around it, that animal is not free. You have to remove the fences in order to be free. Now, I want to say this, though. He might live longer in the zoo, but he is not free unless you remove the borders on him. And the old covenant was like a fence. And what God did is he put the old covenant around Israel to hem them in from their enemies to protect them in a sense. It was Father's heart to show them that these people were uniquely different than the rest of the world. That was the old covenant, but the old covenant has been made obsolete. 
The fences have been dismantled. We see that truth in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13. It says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Under the new covenant, there's no question about it. We are sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. All the fences of the old covenant have been removed. And what do we do? We experience absolute freedom. Freedom, I'm talking about, that removes the grave clothes of condemnation and loosens the shackles of prejudice. I'm talking about freedom that unlocks the prison doors of guilt and shame and fear. Freedom that doesn't cage us like wild animals. Freedom to examine the grounds by which a minister's teachings are supported. Freedom to believe that God is not counting our sins against us. Freedom to know that our righteousness score is not affected by our performance. Freedom to rest in the gospel that liberates. Friends, would you like to see a couple of scriptures that I believe do a great service to help juxtapose the old covenant from the new covenant? They're found in Acts chapter 13, verse 37 to 39. Look at what it says. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Now, you know, we're talking about Jesus, right? But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Friends, I'm in the Bible. I'm in the word. He said, all you have to do is just believe. Believe what? Believe in Jesus. Believe in his finished work. Put your faith in Christ. He that believes, it says, is set free from every sin. I love how Luke disclaimed this. He said, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. He's saying you could not find this kind of freedom under the Mosaic law. You could not experience this kind of freedom. Why? Because there were fences all over the place. He said, but when you put your faith in Christ and the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. In other words, the forgiveness of sins takes place through him, not through you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Now, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. And I would like to take what was just said in those three verses, and I'd love to have just a wrestling match with those truths. And at the end, man, oh man, it would just be so beautiful. You know what I would do? There's no question in my mind. I would get up, and I already have, and I would walk away in tears of joy and gratitude. Let me ask the question. How is it that we have been set free from every sin? See, if you don't believe this, this is a foundational truth of the gospel. If you don't believe you've been set free from every sin, you're going to toggle in and out of confidence. So how is it that we've been set free from every single sin? Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. If the scripture ended right there, that would be enough. That's how you get set free from anything. I'm telling you, friends, if you are to die and you owe somebody a payment, they can't come and collect it from you, okay? How many of you know that? So when we were set free, when we were crucified with Christ, the Bible says, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, look what it says, 
for he who has died is free from sin. This is how it took place. This is how we got free from sin is we died. How did we die? We died in Christ. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Romans chapter 6, we've died in Christ. We've been crucified with him. And so it goes on to say, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. That gives me confidence too, just knowing my Jesus never has to come and die again. I can never get myself into a situation. The world can't get itself into a situation. The believers cannot get themselves into a situation that would ever require for Jesus to come and die again. Why? Because his blood worked. His sacrifice worked. The Bible says after that one sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, signifying a finished work. And I can only hear his heart from the cross. Daddy, Papa, it is finished. And then the last thing he said, he said, Daddy, now into your hands I can commit my spirit. Daddy, I've done it all. I drank the cup. I released a gospel. I released a grace that will keep them, Daddy, that will deal with their sin once for all. And Daddy, help them to see that their sins have been forgiven once for all. I've dealt with them, Daddy. Wow, because they were crucified with me. See yourself crucified. What would be the purpose of us being crucified with Christ? Well, it tells you right there. In order that our body of sin, you know, the body that gets you into trouble from time to time, the body that still loves to sin, he said, so that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we no longer be slaves to sin. For he that who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer has master over him. For the death that he died, he died once for all. I told you, he died once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, or in the same way he's saying, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Now, allow the confidence to begin to ooze and bubble up out of your heart that sin is not an issue with the Father. Yes, I'm not saying that we should all go out and sin because we're not compatible with sin. We're just not. It's not made for us. And we know that when it happens, we go, oh, that's, that's not me. But don't condemn yourself. Don't beat yourself up to say, Father, I'm not compatible with sin. I'm dead to sin. He'll say, yes, son, you sure are. He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me ask the question. Why is being set free from sin so plain in scriptures, yet so troublesome for us to accept? Good question, isn't it? It's so plain in scripture. We're dead to sin. Papa's not counting our sins against us. I mean, these are powerful truths, new covenant, grace truths. Yet we're so troubled. It's a troublesome truth to accept. Could it be that it's because our opinions, our worldview, and our spiritual belief systems were formed without due knowledge of the facts and circumstances without grace and truth? In other words, as you were in your formative years and 
these facts or truths, whatever that you perceived were dripping into your heart. Could it be that you just believed all that without checking it out yourself? Could it be that we have believed what we have been taught and that we have received the opinions from others without examining the grounds by which their teachings were supported? I believe that is exactly what happened. I do. I believe that's exactly what happened. Over the years, I think people, they kind of get comfortable with the Mosaic Law, even though it was made obsolete. You know why? They don't like change. People don't like change. People will sit in the same place at church. They don't like change. And that's okay. I'm not picking on any of that. I, I do the same thing. We don't like change. And someone sits down in the chair I normally sit in. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, what are you doing sitting in my chair? Do you ever do that? I mean, that's where I sit. You ever thought that way? And then you take it one step further and go, you even know I sit there. And then you take it another step further and you go, and you see me standing there and you don't get up. We don't like change. We want things the same way. And so when we get raised a certain way, traditions of men, and we just went through Christmas, we have certain family traditions, don't we? We don't like that disturbed. We like it to stay the same as the way it's always been. That's what kind of lures us back home. And believe it or not, there are people, and I've met them, believers that say, you know what, I'd rather be under the law because it gives me a checklist. It gives me a metric to determine whether or not I'm doing this thing right. I can check it off at the end of the day. And it's not daddy's heart. Daddy is saying, no, your sins have been done away with. The body of sin has been done away with. You have been crucified with my son. Allow the truth to wrestle with you that I'm not counting your sins against you ever again. It's a powerful truth. You know what kind of freedom that gives your heart? You can walk around. You can feel so light and airy, so beautiful, so pure, so innocent. But they want to hold on to Moses' teddy bear, even though it was made obsolete. They don't like change. People like rules, and they like regulations. And that's why it's so troublesome for believers to move from a performance-driven, law-based relationship with God to a rest in Jesus' finished work through a mindset of just grace, that Jesus finished it all. Because you're going like, isn't there something I can do? I mean, I've been around people that have been cleaning up after a big Thanksgiving dinner or something, and you go, well, isn't there something I, you need me to do? No, 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 we got it all. Well, you sure, isn't there something? There's got to be something. No, no, we got it. Well, that's not generally the way it works at my house, but I, I have seen that before. If, if I say that at my house, they'll go sit down, and, uh, and then I'll end up doing it, and it's still okay. In the Gospel of John, we see an encounter with Jesus and some religious Jews. The only people that Jesus really couldn't do much with was those religious Jews, those religious Pharisees. And so we see this encounter. These are the ones that had strong prejudices in favor of Moses' law. Now, in all fairness, these were prejudices that were reasonable because that is all they knew. That is until Jesus, the light of the world, walked in front of him and began to tell them about his daddy. It was then when that truth began to drip in their heart, they should have moved toward him and away from Moses. The problem is they didn't want to wrestle with Jesus. They wanted to argue with him. 
And there's a big difference, friends, in wrestling to extract and to have fun and to draw out the truth. You know, it wouldn't be any fun to go to a zoo hunting. You take the fun right out of it. There's your deer right there in that little pen. That would be no fun in that. Part of the fun of hunting an animal like deer or whatever is stalking. Stalking the woods and and saying, I'm going to conquer this. I'm going to win over you. I'm going to pursue you. And that's what it's like when we take a truth and we wrestle it with daddy. We're saying, oh, daddy, I'm going to stalk you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to come after you. And daddy says, you know what, son? I'm easy to find. I'm so easy to get a hold of. And I'm going to put things inside of you, son. It's going to be awesome. John chapter 8, verses 21 through 36. Once more, Jesus said to them, he's talking to Jews now, I am going away and you will look for me. Now watch what he says. And he says, and you will die in your sin. There are 16 verses in this narrative here. And Jesus is going to mention that sin word five times, either in the singular or the plural version of it. And here's the beauty of it is, is every time he mentions it, it's always in the form of a noun not a verb. He's not talking about sinful actions. He's talking about sinful attitudes. Okay? Very important to understand that. He's referring to their attitudes and he's referring even more so is to their stubbornness. He's referring to their unwillingness to change, their unwillingness to be liberated by the gospel, their stubborn heart that refuses to take down the fences. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will come and look for me and you will die in your sin. He said, where I go, you cannot come. In other words, what Jesus was saying is religious servanthood is not enough. Religious servanthood is like Jesus just parking his car in your driveway, but never having a relationship with you. And he says, that's not enough where I'm going. He said, you're going to look for me. But he says, where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, Will he kill himself? Is that what he says? Where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you did not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, in other words, when you have put me on the cross, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. And that's really important because here is Jesus talking to this religious group. And some of them got the revelation. They didn't want to argue. They wanted to wrestle. Do you see that? To the Jews who had believed. Now, Jesus is talking now to the ones that put their faith their trust in him. Jesus said these words. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Now that scripture there can kind of intimidate us a little bit because now it looks conditional. If you hold to my teachings. Well, if you look at the teachings that led up to this encounter right here, we're in John chapter eight. 
John chapter 8 opens with the woman caught in adultery. And what was Jesus's message for there? No condemnation, no judgment. Hold to that teaching. We are disciples of Christ. And so what he was really saying, listen, as long as you don't run back to Moses, you don't need Moses anymore. You don't need to be Moses' disciple. As long as you don't run back to your father, Abraham. That's why he's talking about being his disciple. He's talking about his father so much here. To the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you really are my disciples. So he's telling them, listen, where I come from, I don't condemn you and I don't judge you. There's no Moses. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. Everything in my kingdom is accessed by faith. A powerful truth, it just blew them away when, when they said it because all they had a mentality of was working, obeying, just obeying the commandments. But Jesus was saying, listen, everything in this kingdom is operated by faith. Jesus is referring to continue in the gospel, the gospel of grace that liberates. That's what he's getting at. Then he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, same word that the Apostle Paul used in Romans chapter 6 there. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So here's the question. Who is it that is free indeed? Well, he clearly told us there, it's a Son. The Son is free indeed. Us as sons and daughters, we are free indeed because of that. How do we become a Son? Well, <laughs> I think we find that truth in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. It says this, He came unto his own, that is, the Jews, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In those two verses right there, we see how we step into sonship. We believe and we receive, period. That's it. There's nothing else to do. We believe and we receive. He said, as many as received him, he gave them power to become, or that word power comes from the Greek word exousia. It means the privilege or the ability to become sons of God, even unto them which believe on his name. My closing scriptures, Galatians chapter 5, I love these scriptures, verses 1 through 4. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He has removed all the fences, the fences of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He said, it is for that freedom that you have the ability that I'm not going to govern and puppet every one of your single moves. He said, when you come to that realization that you have that kind of freedom, that doesn't make us want to sin. We see the righteousness involved in there. And the Bible says that it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no 
to sin. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He said, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. In other words, again, he's saying, if you put yourself under the law, law to be circumcised, then he's saying Christ will lose his value in your life because now it's about what you're doing and not about what he has done. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. See, that's what happens. There's the slippery slope. If you say, I'm going to obey this law in order to be right with the Father, then you have to obey them all. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And again, as I said before, we're not talking about a salvation, a loss of salvation here. We're talking about a principle that the new covenant operates by grace, faith in Jesus' finished work. And he says, if you allow yourself to be put back under the law, what you have done is you have fallen away from that principle. You have fallen away from the new covenant. You have fallen away from grace, the very gospel that liberates. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. We have been liberated from sin by his once for all sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus. As a result, guess what? The Father is no longer counting our sins against us. Through the gospel of grace, we have been liberated from the bondage of fear and condemnation, from duress and imprisonment. We have been liberated from the shackles of prejudice. Jesus led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Those gifts included being called sons of God. That is a gift that he gives you to be able to say, you're my son, you're my daughter. Through the gospel that liberates, we discover the great distinction between our sinful actions and our sinless nature. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. We have a sure foundation in Christ, a foundation that was not built upon a retired landfill or upon a retired covenant, but built upon Jesus's perfect obedience, Jesus's perfect blood, Jesus's perfect sacrifice, Jesus's perfect death on the cross, Jesus's perfect burial, and even more so, Jesus' perfect resurrection. Hear the Father whisper these words into your heart. Hey, son. <laughs> hey, daughter. Would you like to wrestle? I'll let you unpack and unwrap my heart. I'll show you things you've never seen before. And when you walk away from the mat, you'll walk away in tears of absolute gratitude and joy and love and thankfulness. You'll walk away a winner in me. That's your identity. You are a winner. There are no losers in Christ. Love never fails, and a son belongs in my family forever. Son, you are free to choose. And although every choice may not be a healthy choice, it may not be the best choice, 
It may not even be my heart. I want you to know that even in your poorest choices, I will be with you. I am a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You are exempt from moral, ceremonial, and mortal liability through the new covenant of grace. What kind of grace am I talking about? I'm talking about the gospel of grace, the gospel that liberates in Jesus' name. Amen. Daddy, what an amazing truth that we have been liberated from sin. We have been set free from the tyrant called sin. And Father, we can enjoy this walk with you, that we're not always under this pressure, always under this duress, always feeling like we're in prison, shackled by chains of injustice, shackled by chains of prejudice. Daddy, we thank you that we can enjoy this walk. The word says that you've come, that you might give us life and life more abundantly, a life that is a joy-filled life. And so, Father, as these barnacles, as these parasites fall off of our hearts today, these bloodsuckers, if you will, that are wreaking havoc sometimes in our lives, as the wonderful truth is dripping into our hearts, that it was a once-for-all sacrifice, not only for Jesus, but for us as well. How do we know that? Because the word says we have been crucified with him. We have been crucified with Christ. So thank you, Father, for this truth, because it really does take the load off of our shoulders. It takes the load off of our heart and helps us to walk with you and to work with you and to watch how Papa does it. It helps us to observe and watch how you execute the unforced rhythms of grace. And so thank you, Papa, as your love is communicated. Your love is communicated in such strong and deep ways. And all these things that would normally inhibit that love from manifesting in our heart, those things have been dealt a death blow. They have been taken out of the way through the gospel that liberates. In Jesus' name, amen.